Bullshit is everywhere. Bullshit is rampant. Bullshit. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! I was told once that the best way to regenerate body heat is to crawl naked into a sleeping bag with somebody else who's already naked. Welcome back to the Bullshit Filter. This is episode 21. My name is Cameron Riley, and with me is Ray, the dog ate my homework. Harris. <laughs> Hello, all. Um, for those of you who have heard certain preachers in our country say that the two big hurricanes that we've had recently are the, the fault of homosexuals, that is not true, and it certainly doesn't speak to, for the majority of uh, of Americans. There's only a few crazies. The rest of us are just gun owners. So I was looking at that earlier today, and I'm like, really? Can't you just leave the gays alone? I mean, they lost their homes, too. But anyway, I digress. Well, I thought the Hurricanes were heading straight for Trump's Mar-a-Lago resort, and I figured yeah, that which that means was... prayers do come true. Oh, sorry. It's yeah. pretty obvious that... Uh, <laughs> Hurricane Irma was God's uh, attempt to <laughs> attack Trump. God is pro-gay, and he's going to he destroy his vacation home. There we go. Uh, so in the last episode, we were talking about how uh, Obama had his red line, and then when time came to get to the red line, he went, eh, it's not so red. <laughs> and he went to Congress, even though he knew Congress would say no. So it gave him an out. And then we were talking about how the U.S.'s case against Syria for the Ghouta attacks kind of looked pretty flimsy uh, when you looked at uh, some of the competing scenarios and the fact that the U.S. was basically just making shit up, it seems, in terms of certainly the numbers of people who died and also where the rockets were fired from. Uh, Now, one high United Nations official admitted on television that the Syrian mm-hmm. government was not responsible for the earlier attack on Khan al-Assal either. Carla mm. Del Ponte told a Swiss TV interviewer that uh, the attack... She was talking about the, the attack on Khan al-Assal. She said, this was used on part of the opposition, the rebels, not by the government authorities. Interesting. Now, Deponte was I a member. Why that never took off. Deponte was a member of the UN Independent Commission of of Inquiry on Syria, and a former mm-hmm. war crimes prosecutor for the International Criminal Tribunal of the former Yugoslavia. So, uh, you know, relatively uh, uh, respected uh, personage mm-hmm. in uh, the UN. Ooh. Um, she uh, is a former Swiss Attorney General. Uh, yeah, so she's been around. Right. Mm. Again, a credible, credible source. So I guess the question for me is, okay, so Obama says, I'm sorry, I'm not sorry with the whole red line thing, goes to Congress, knows it's not going to get passed, and obviously it, it doesn't. He could still strike out on his own, he could garner the praise and or blame for it, but he could have went ahead and just lit up Syria anyway. Other presidents probably would have um, certain, uh, I think I think if it, there had been a Republican president in there, he would have been supported uh, to do so. So again, Obama could still act, but because he's, I think he said something like, I do, I am the leader of the oldest what did he say? The oldest republic? Or I'm trying to remember exactly what he said. Uh, I feel like I have to go to Congress and get their consul to or get their permission. But again, he still could have moved out on his own if he really wanted to. Yeah. And as uh, Lindsey Graham pointed out, there were 225 presidents for the, the president as commander in chief <laughs> uh, going ahead without Congress's approval. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and my understanding is the president needs to go to Congress for approval if he is going to declare war on a country. On a nation state. Yeah. Right. But if he's just, right. if he's doing something other than declaring war, 
I'm bombing. Now, I'm saying part of your sky is now off limits to you. But other than that, I can do I can do stuff like that. Whoops. One might think that if you bomb a country, that is a declaration <laughs> no. of war. No. That's old school thinking, Cam. Yeah. You gotta catch up to the times. Yeah. Isn't isn't the United States currently bombing seven different countries? It's either six or seven. <sighs> I'm trying to remember. Anyway, no, no, that's 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 not true. Just because you bomb someone to destroy their property and kill their civilians does not mean you have declared war. What what do you call that if it's not war, Ray? Just uh, a, a, a lover's tiff, a spat. I would call it uh, murder. <laughs> yeah, murder, and oh, that works. Yeah. Okay, just checking. And it doesn't matter if it's good guys or bad guys. But anyway. So this is a question that we've asked before on the show. Why would Bashar al-Assad be stupid enough to launch a major chemical attack just days after United Nations inspectors entered Damascus? Referring to the Ghouta attacks here. Right, right. He may be evil, but he's not stupid. Now I've had right. some. He's people, an eye doctor, for God's sakes. Yeah, some was. Um, uh, some people was, yeah. I've talked about this with have said, "Well, this was Assad just demonstrating that he could get away with anything because he had yeah. the support of the Russians, and because he knew that Obama didn't really want to get involved, and so he just did this, being the Guter attack, badass." Yeah, just right. to show what a badass he is and how he can just flaunt his big swinging dick in public and no one will tell him to put it away. I don't I don't buy that rationale. That uh no. doesn't make sense. And think back to that interview, those clips we played from his Barbara Walters interview. If his personality was such where he was just like you know, I'm untouchable. I can do whatever the fuck I want. A bit like Trump's statement, right. I could walk through the middle of Times Square and shoot somebody <laughs> and, and I'd, you know, I'd still be popular. Still get elected. Whatever his quote right. was. Um, Assad on the Barbara Walters interview didn't just go, yeah, fucking I'm killing my own people. What are you going to do about it? Fuck you. I'm Bashar al-Assad, baby. I'm the BAA, <laughs> the friendly way. Um, that wasn't his... Persona, he was like, no, no, you, you, you Barbara, you right. do not understand. You have to tell me, like, where is the evidence for this, Barbara? I do not know what you, I, I, I sorry, Barbara. Hey, baby, how you doing? I don't know what you're talking about with the evidence. Uh, no, no, no. He no, was and, cold and calculating and he was lying, but he wasn't fucked up crazy. There's a difference. He's, he may be evil, but he's not stupid. Right, now, right. Um, the uh, justice minister... Justice? That's not really a word, Cameron. Okay, nope, Cameron. No, nope. Just Justice Minister in Syria, uh, Ahmad, was talking to journalist Reese Ehrlich. He, uh, he said, when the Syrian army was making progress in al Ghuta, the terrorists wanted the world to look at another issue, so they used chemicals again. Mm. So that was the obviously the, the line that the Syrian government was pushing forward that it was the rebels who were doing it while the UN inspectors were there uh, in Mm. order to create more global attention on the fact that the Syrian government uh, was brutal and had uh, uh, chemical weapons. And, And the rapidity with which particularly the White House jumped on the bandwagon and started falsifying facts and numbers, as we talked about in the earlier episode, sort of suggests to me that they were in on this somehow, that they knew who was really responsible for it or that they had just decided that whatever happens, we're going to blame it on the Syrian government. You didn't see the White House come out and go, well, um, you know, there are various uh, possibilities here and various skills of thought and we need to be careful in assessing the evidence. They were not Syrians. Now, they had been more circumspect previously, uh, but this time they just seemed to jump in boots and all. Yeah. 
Well, I'll I'll go. I'll agree with you in that no matter who did it, and I don't think we'll ever know. Uh, the United States it served them to say yes, this was the Syrian government because we need a desired result from this, and so uh, I'll go with that. But I don't know. Who again? Who knows who really did it? It's like JFK assassination. Who in the hell knows who fired those shells? We'll ne- we'll probably never know. I think it was Bashar al-Assad, man. I think he did it himself. He yeah. did it himself. Killed fourteen hundred and twenty-nine yeah. people with that one bullet. <laughs> now, but then again, just to, to to show the other side of the story, German intelligence claimed at the time to have intercepted Syrian radio communications. Indicating that the Mm -hmm. army, the Syrian army, had been asking Assad for permission for many months to use chemical weapons. Mm. So these intercepts that the Germans produced created another scenario was in that perhaps the Syrian military used the sarin gas without Bashar al-Assad's knowledge or permission. Right, certainly plausible. Now, one German newspaper indicated that brigade and division commanders had been asking permission to use chemical weapons for four and a half months before Guta. But again, no other sources confirmed the theory. And I do, I do remember that there was fighting in that area. There were some intense attempts by the the. Um, the government forces to take the areas and they lost each time. So whether their blood was getting up or this was a chance for revenge or a chance to have final victory, there was a lot of fighting there the last couple of months and the, and the rebels, excuse me, and the, um, the people against um, Assad came out victorious each time. So yeah, maybe they just decided enough was enough. Maybe. Yeah. So what conclusions can we draw? Well, I think it's quite possible that, both sides could have used the sarin. I think it's quite Mm -hmm. possible that both sides, and by here I'm talking about the Syrian government and the various rebel groups, uh, could be lying, could have manipulated evidence. Uh, At a a very minimum, though, I think it's fairly safe to say that the Obama administration exaggerated its case to justify a military attack on Syria. At worst, you could say the White House fabricated intelligence. But what's most interesting about that is that they did this without Obama really wanting to do anything about it. Interesting. So we build up the case to make our position look unassailable, like it's a moral imperative, and then they don't do anything because he didn't want to? I guess. For the reasons we mentioned before, but yeah, why go to yeah. the effort? So maybe if you don't really what, want to do it, well, maybe what's happening here yeah. is there like the, the the White House isn't a single entity. They're obviously different factions. If the sure. White, if, if West Wing has taught us anything, is that there are different people even inside the president's inner circle that have different ideas and different agendas. Not to mention the deep state apparatus that has its own agenda, which is definitely usually driving towards war of one form or another because it's run in large part by the military Keynesianism of military industrial complex. So it's quite possible that a lot of this intelligence uh, was fabricated or exaggerated by different departments, people, uh, providing information to the White House. The White House ran with it, uh, but mm-hmm. Obama shied away at the last minute because he didn't want that on his record or in his conscience, perhaps, to give him you know, uh, maybe more credit than he deserves because he's been bombing the fuck right. out of civilians for eight years. But well, at this point, whatever it was. Uh, when did he get in? 2008, so yeah. five years. But again, once you bomb a country, you own it. I mean, it becomes your problem. You and bomb it, you own point. it. <laughs> That's right. You bomb it, you own it. Um, and you and Syria was not his problem. So why in the hell would he get involved? I, I just, I just have a hard time saying that. I think the there's bottom. No, there's nothing for him to be gained bo- except for, you know, stocks and uh, the in war industrial complex. The bottom line is. No one, even up to today, as far as I'm aware, has presented any convincing evidence 
mm-hmm. um, of who was responsible for the Al Guda attack. Right. I can see that. I even reached out to our Israeli friend, Barry Morris, because I know Barry and I were talking about Al Guda, uh, I think a year ago on Facebook, and he claimed that he had incontrovertible evidence. Um, and I said, show it to me, and he tried to dig it up again. And the best he had was, I don't know, the Israeli intelligence services said Syria was responsible, but, you know, that's um, not really worth any more than the White House saying that he's responsible. Um, but right. the the one thing that is clear is that the Al Ghuta massacre changed U.S. policy, but probably not in the way that Obama intended. The United States started to prepare to wage war on Syria using a combination of public relations techniques uh, that they had perfected in Iraq and Libya, and then, as we'll see Mm -hmm. from this point onwards, sinking a shit ton of money covertly into rebel operations. Now, the, the, the public relations techniques, we've already talked about this in a little bit of detail, but... This is something for, to, to uh, always be aware of when you're reading these stories. Uh, the first thing that you do is you exaggerate the threat. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, in the case of Saddam Hussein, uh, he's got uh, weapons of mass destruction and he's going to use them any minute now if we don't invade. Uh, in the right. case of of the the Al Ghuta attacks exaggerating the number of civilians that had been murdered by this attack and exaggerate the amount of evidence that you have that ties these attacks to the Syrian government. The second step in the PR technique is to claim that secret US intelligence, which can't be made public because if we did, it would compromise our intelligence people or protocols or sources or contacts or whatever, national security. We can't tell you how we know this, but we know it. Trust me, we know it. Uh, And they said- (laughs) Look deep in their eyes. Trust me. So it's always this secret intelligence. Now, you know, I mentioned in the last episode that generally speaking, anonymous sources or saying that we have secret evidence should not be- acceptable to us as a sceptical, intelligent public. We should always say, no, 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 no. I'm not believing Mm -hmm. you unless you give me um, data to back that up. Tell me who your sources are and why they're credible. That said, I am willing to give some benefit of the doubt in certain instances to certain people or institutions that have a good track record. So, for example, Mm -hmm. last episode I said investigative journalist Seymour Hirsch has a pretty good track record, so I will mm-hmm. give him the benefit of the doubt. Not saying that I believe 100% what he or his sources say 100% of the time, but he gets the benefit of the doubt because he's got a good track record, as does Robert right. Fisk, as does Noam Chomsky, as does you know a, a, a whole bunch of people that I won't go into right. out of time. Woodward and Bernstein. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I would even say... Uh, Edward Snowden, I'd say Julian Assange, even though he gets a lot of flack and a lot of heat right now, I still think Assange has proven himself and uh, all of the slanders and libels against him don't really stack up to much. Uh, On the opposite side of the fucking red line, Cameron's red line here, uh, US intelligence agencies and and White House administrations of every stripe. Anyone who's studied... 20th century U.S. history uh, knows that the intelligence agencies and every White House administration pretty much, except maybe, I don't know, Jimmy Carter, has just fucking out and out lied to the American people uh, about a whole range of things, foreign and domestic. And you would be naive, as I said in earlier episode, to believe anything they tell you at face value. So when they say they have secret evidence, I think it is a very healthy, sceptical position to say, yeah, sorry, Sonny, you're going to have to show me hard, unbiased, peer-reviewed evidence for that, peer-reviewed by people who don't have any interest in your agenda before I'm going to 
accept what you tell me as being true or I'm right. going to give you any permission uh, to go ahead with whatever crazy fucking plan that you have. <laughs> That's uh, going to cost me money. Yeah. I think the third uh, step in the PR technique is to claim that U.S. military action will be limited in scope. It will uh, be precise. It will yeah. be surgical. Yeah. Mission accomplished. 90 days in and out, man. We know what we're doing. We've done this. We are the best of the best. Boom, boom, boom. Done. Um, of course, knowing A, probably won't be that clean. B, once you're in there, what did you say? Once you bomb it, you own it. Um, then That's they right. get to play the lane. Wow, we've look, we've look. Yes, we made a mistake when we said we would yeah. get in and out quickly, but we've done it now. It's ours. We can't just. We would create a no. vacuum if we left now. We can't create a vacuum. Look Ooh, at all the power people vacuum. that are. There's another one. Yeah, the people that are relying on us to finish the job. Uh, we, we we can't just betray their trust. We have to stay in until it's done. And, of course, you topple the regime and then uh, all hell breaks loose because the regime were the ones that held all the the finely yeah. tuned strings It was ugly, but they were holding control. it together. Exactly. exactly. Then you go, oh, yeah. now we need to stay yeah. in there until we stabilize it. We need to build democracy. How long is that going to take? Oh, fuck. Could be could be 50 years, mate. I don't know. Like, how long have we had troops in Japan? Well, <laughs> well since World yeah. War II. Well, once, once, you, um, once you take out a leader who was keeping everybody down except for his own people, then it's a chance for everybody else to rise up. And so why should they just go, oh, well, the Americans are here, so we're not going to try. No, everybody's going to try to get the power that was denied them. And, of course, you're going to have instability for a very long time because people have been waiting, certain groups have been waiting a long time for their shot at the brass ring. And when you take the the leader out, that's their chance. Mm. Now, what did happen, as I mentioned before, after... Obama's uh, I'm going to bomb him, no, I'm not thing happened is the administration really massively stepped up their arms supplies to the rebels. I mentioned that it, mm. even earlier than that, according to Simon Hirsch, there the CIA had been involved in this rat line smuggling weapons out of Libya into Syria mm-hmm. uh, via Turkey. Um, perhaps, but uh, now they they ramp it up massively. Now they had been promising the rebels uh, more supplies since April, but now these weapons start to arrive. Now apparently the aim was to give General Salim Idris more arms and supplies. He was uh, the the supposed head of the FSA at the time, the Free Syrian Army to coordinate attacks when the U.S. bombed. So this is before even the vote doesn't go down. When they still think they're going to bomb, they were giving lots of arms and supplies to him so they could have a coordinated one-two punch. And Uh, are we giving the... I just missed this part. Are we giving them weapons or whatever? Are we giving it to them covertly? Well, yes. It's all covertly. Okay. Just want to make sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. Yes. So, um, on top of this, uh, as I mentioned briefly in the last episode, they tried to get the support of the US's traditional allies. Now, as I mentioned earlier, British Parliament voted against it, which reflected popular opinion in Britain, as was popular opinion in the United States. The British public remembered mm-hmm. how Tony Blair had supported the lies of the Bush administration in the lead-up to the invasion of Iraq, which left France as Obama's only major European backer. We will support you. Now, only 10 years before, the White House had attacked France for not supporting the Iraq invasion, calling their leaders surrender monkeys. Oh, you can't. No, you can't say that. But now Secretary of State John Kerry was proclaiming France as our oldest ally. From surrender monkeys to our oldest ally. The difference a decade makes. What have you done for me lately? Surrender monkeys. Like... I don't even know... 
I don't know. I mean, I, I get freedom fries from French fries. That I get. Surrender monkeys. You're not even human. You're not man. You're not. <laughs> I don't get it. I don't get well, it. Well, here's the thing. It started yeah. <laughs> on The Simpsons. That term. Um, as a term for French people, uh, in a 1995 episode of The Simpsons, uh, oh, the French were referred to as cheese-eating surrender monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. And somebody picked that up and ran with it, did they? <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, it, it was groundskeeper Willie in this uh, 1995 episode uh, where he <clears throat> called the French... Bonjour, you cheese-eating surrender monkeys! <laughs> I should have got a, I should have got a clip of that for the show. That sounds sounds like something he'd say. Yeah. Now, uh, yeah. but after uh, the sort of um, Iraq invasion uh, and the French not supporting the Iraq invasion, um, it had been sort of picked up, I think, by the the media and various politicians. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, there was a National Review article titled Top 10 Reasons to Hate the French. And oh, God. Uh, that, that was part of them because they were cheese-eating Serena monkeys. In Australia, our opposition leader, Bill Shorten, still our opposition leader, uh, mm-hmm. described the government of Australia as the cheese-eating surrender monkeys of Australian <laughs> jobs. Damn. Anyway. Uh, la, 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 la. So, cheese-eating surrender monkeys. Uh, but now, but they were supporting the US in this one. And as we have seen in earlier episodes, they had uh, also supported the attack on Libya. In fact, they'd probably been one of the main proponents of the attack on Libya with the Sarkozy government in power. Right. Now, uh, the Obama administration also sought support from the Arab League, who we know had already uh, been attacking the Bashar al-Assad administration with Mm -hmm. sanctions and words. Uh, They had supported the Western attack on Libya, the Arab League, but not a single member of the League would openly support the United States' desire to bomb Syria. Why do you think... That was. Um, Because payback's a bitch. Um, That's going too far. That's, that's, if I can use Obama's term, that's a red line for the Arab leaders to support the devil, which is the United States, in bombing one of your own. Just is completely unacceptable. And you are a leader who is is going to have a lot of people in your country and outside of your country uh, turn away from you. That's just political suicide, I would imagine. Yeah, I think that's possibly part of it. I think it's not mm-hmm. a, the optics of that aren't great. Uh, supporting the great Satan <laughs> bombing Muslims. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, Obama was criticised by the Republicans in particular for not having a Syria policy, but in fact, he did have a Syria policy. It just didn't work. Very yeah. early on. The CIA had begun had begun uh, working with Syrian exiles, trying mm-hmm. to create credible pro-U.S. rebel groups uh, to fight the Al-Assad administration, uh, but they they just failed. As so- were there, are there any pro-American Syrians? In Syria? I mean, how, you need at least five to get together to make a group. Can you find five people? But this is the fascinating thing about this whole exercise. Yeah. The U.S. spent right. years and near, probably close to a billion dollars, the CIA spent, covertly trying yeah. to put together a pro-U.S. rebel army. And they, in fact, five is literally what they came up with after all those years. <laughs> They reckon they had about five guys they could trust. Right. Now, so that's about $2,200 million each for each person. <laughs> you have to wonder why it was so hard. The, the, the rebel groups want to get rid of Assad. The U.S. come and say, we'll help you yeah. get rid of Assad. 
and they're like, no, no, we're good, really. Uh, <laughs> we, <laughs> we'd no, rather, I'd rather fail on my own. We, I'd rather fail on my own than win with you by my side. We got this. And the America's like, no, you don't got this. No, you don't. Look. <laughs> you do. You're, getting you're de- not anywhere you're getting near defeated. to getting no. this. Yeah. If you didn't want us to support you, why did you use sarin gas? That wasn't us. Oh, right. Sorry, sorry. So it wasn't you. Wasn't anyone listening? It wasn't you, mother. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. But uh, anyway, so we'll talk about this in a bit more detail. So the U.S. formed two different coalitions to go up against the mm-hmm. Assad government, the Free Syrian Army as well, they supported. Sounds good. On top of their right. civilian uh, coalitions that they put together. Then they tried to broaden the FSA by creating a 30-man directorate called the Supreme Military Council, which sounds straight out of, I don't know, the Empire and Star Wars, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Leader of the Supreme the Military Council. I will take your command to the Supreme Military Council. I don't know. Fuck, who comes up with these names? Like, really? Supreme Military Council? If you wanted to come up with an evil-sounding name for something. Yeah. Right. Now, um, of course, uh, then John Kerry, Secretary of State, was in London. He was at a press conference. He was asked what Assad could do to stop... (laughs) the looming attack by the US. And he said, I think this might have been the clip you were talking about earlier. He made this offhanded remark that uh, Assad could turn over every single bit of his chemical weapons to the international community in the next week, turn it over, all of it, without delay, (laughs) and allow the full and total accounting. But he isn't about to do it, and it can't be done. To which Bashar said, well, I could. Uh, I could do that. Uh, yes, you know, Barbara, I, I, there is no evidence, Barbara, that we have the chemical weapons, but, you know, maybe we do. And if we do, if we don't, uh, we don't. But maybe if we do, I will give them, you know, you have no evidence. I'm sorry, Barbara, but maybe I can come up with some right. evidence. Maybe I, will, I, will, I will tell you that I have it, even if I don't have it, if that will shut you the fuck <laughs> up and stop you from bombing my country. Okay, 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 okay. I just thought it was interesting that, like you said, he, he's never, they've never admitted to having these weapons. And here's Kerry, I think at the end of an interview, just kind of going, I don't know, what could they do? They could fucking admit they have the weapons and agree to turn them all over and let us in there and take a look at it. I mean, that's what they could do to stop getting bombed. Because again, it hasn't been officially decided by the United States, by Obama, that we are not going in. So Syria is assuming we're going to be bombing. The world's going, assuming we're going to be bombing. But equally important, Russia is assuming that we're going to be bombing. So a very short time after Kerry makes this offhanded mark, he gets a phone call from Sergei Lavrov, his Russian counterpart, the Russian um, Secretary of State. And they're like, you know, hey, we should talk because I just happened to be talking to the Syrian diplomats in Moscow about some of these the, this tense situation. Maybe we could work something out together. Well, I read that the Russians had actually been trying to get the U.S. to agree to this for quite a while. Let's, hey, mm. psh, hey, you know, like, why, why don't we, uh, it's cra- call me crazy, call me stupid, but why don't we talk to Assad about handing over all of his chemical weapons? And the Americans are like, nah, nah that would never work. That would never work. And, yep. and then, <laughs> now Kerry takes credit for it. And Russia's like, oh, fuck, we've been trying to get you to do this for ages, mate. So yeah, anyway, the Russians yeah. said, well, okay, it- let's, yeah. let's bring Assad to the table. Now, um, they sort of drew up an agreement for how they were going to destroy the chemicals, how they were going to allow weapons inspectors to go in and make sure that they'd done it, which, I've got to say, is very difficult when you're in the middle of a big fucking civil war. Uh, yeah. But uh, this is what ended up happening, as we briefly mentioned in an earlier episode. The US insisted that all of Syria's chemical weapons must be destroyed, not by next week, as John Kerry had suggested, but (laughs) within a year. Now, this is a relatively short deadline, considering the United States had been delaying the destruction of its own chemical stockpiles 
for years. As That's we, different. As we talked about on a previous um, episode, was it... 1997, I think, when the chemical weapons agreements, mm-hmm. the, the, the the international yeah. agreements were signed, the US, along with everyone else, agreed to have to destroy their chemical stockpiles, not in a year, but in 10 years. And when the 10-year mark came around, they said, ah, oh, United States, have you destroyed your chemical weapons? I'm like, no, 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 we haven't. <laughs> well, when are you going to get it done by? They said, oh, we need at least another five years. 2012, yeah. right? 2012 came along. America, have you destroyed all your chemical weapons? Oh, no. No, no, no. We, look, I think we've got a little bit left. A little it, bit. They, said, they look how, at how, their watch. Is it 2012? Damn. Yeah. Damn. Okay, no, you time, snuck up on me. Time flies when you're having a recession in a war. And they said, well, uh... Well, how much have you got left? Oh, just a little bit. How much? Oh, one, two, three thousand tons of it. Yeah, three thousand tons. Three tons? No, no, definitely with 3, a small T. Tons. With a small T. What is it? Oh, yeah. sarin, uh, mustard gas, uh, VX. Yeah, yeah, three thousand. Why? Oh, yeah, you know, just nasty, got, nasty stuff. Haven't got around to it, yeah. mate. Um. They said it, Washington said it would cost thirty-five billion dollars, and it couldn't be completed until twenty twenty-three at the earliest. Now, right, as yeah. an American citizen, the fact that the Trump administration is currently sitting on three thousand tons of sarin, VX, and mustard gas mm-hmm. how how comfortable right. does that make you feel? <laughs> well, it's probably not good. But I understand that they have to take the money that they could use to destroy all that, which is extremely important. But they currently have to build a wall, which is going to be about 20 to $25 billion. As soon as we get that wall built, then we'll start saving money to destroy the gas. I freaking promise it. Uh, I think the Mexicans are paying for that wall, right? It shouldn't be an issue. <laughs> well, Mexican-Americans maybe, but no, not, not the Mexicans. Like Mitt Romney. He's a Mexican American, right? Um, I wonder. Yeah. I wonder if he's going to get thrown out of the country under the, the DACA um, renunciation. It's possible. Yeah. Now, uh, obviously, the U.S. wanted Syria to, you know, step it up a little bit compared to their. Like, yes, we are going to take uh, twenty-five years to destroy our chemical weapons, but you've got a year to do it. And the Obama administration, obviously, were very pleased with the fact that Syria agreed to this. They hailed it as a major breakthrough, but their Mm -hmm. their failure to bomb Syria had them criticised, particularly from conservative and ultra-conservative sides of American politics, and also from the rebels in Syria. The rebels in Syria were very upset about the fact that they'd gone to all this trouble to stage a gas attack and the US still didn't come to the party. Yeah. Well, it ju- it just gets me that if we could have bombed until the cows came home, as we say in Virginia, and we still would not have not destroyed all their chemical weapons. And so we come up with a deal where they promised to let us in, to gather it all up, take it out of the country and destroy it. And let's say that they're lying, that they hide a little bit of it, whatever. You know, we all do that. We all lie. We all tuck it in, whatever. Um, It's still a hell of a lot better than spending millions or billions of our dollars on bombs, bombing, trying to get to their chemical weapons and not succeeding. But like you said, playing politics, the conservatives and a lot of other people on the right trash, uh, trash talk Obama and a lot of people across the country, excuse me, a lot across people across the world saw Obama as weak because he did not put, um, his, uh, he did not keep, uh, shit, what I'm trying to say. He did not match his rhetoric of the red line with action. So because he did not bomb, he lost uh, a lot of respect around the world. Um, but again, we all now know that uh, Trump signed, recently signed off on the on the deal, uh, saying that that you know they did pretty well. So again, I just don't understand. But again, it's all politics. No matter what your enemy does, if they even if they do something well, you find some way to trash them while they're succeeding. 
What? Trump signed off on what deal? No, maybe I'm thinking of the Iran deal. Sorry, sorry, different, different, uh, that's the nuclear deal. Sorry, that's coming for later. I apologize. Ray, the dog ate my homework, Harris, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> so, so, no, but, no, but, uh, but this, even though the Russians helped a lot with this, and, um, I think I just think uh, Obama should have got a lot more credit than what he did, but that's not the way politics works. And he was trashed inside and outside of his own country for taking a non-military uh, way out, and he did not keep his word when they crossed when someone crossed the red line. Mm. And now that they've struck this deal with Assad, it adds another level of complexity because they now have a vested interest in keeping Assad in power. Ah. Because otherwise, the whole deal to destroy the chemical weapons is good for nothing if he's removed because the deal's with his government. Now, meanwhile, in May of 2013, a few months before the Ghouta attacks, the rebels took their first regional capital. Capital. Capital? Not sure that's a word. Capital. Uh, Raqqa in northern Syria. Um. Now, this was a huge defeat for the Syrian government, as you can imagine. The rebels have taken their first capital city. Before the civil war, the population of Raqqa was about 240,000 people, but an estimated 800,000 refugees had fled there from other areas of the country by Mm. uh, early 2013. Can you imagine what that is? is like Ray. You had you've got no. the infrastructure to support two hundred and forty thousand, even that probably not well. And then you've got eight hundred thousand refugees. So, well not only that, but yeah. I was just gonna say to make even population. I'm sorry. Uh to make to make the situation even worse, by twenty thirteen, you know you've had the uh the drought going on for almost a decade. Uh, even though the river Euphrates is going through there. Um, yeah, it was the breadbasket of Syria. Very provincial life for these people, but you've got the drought. A lot of people are leaving, trying to go to the cities in the West to try to find food, try to find some way to make a living. But now you have the civil war. There's a lot of fighting. A lot of refugees go back there, but times are going to be even harder because the, there's just um, no way to, to grow crops. So it, it is an absolute nightmare for these people. So yeah, so the rebels might have this city, but it's certainly isn't the gem that it once was. So in early 2013, a coalition of rebel groups from the Free Syrian Army, Ara al-Sham, al-Nusra and ISIS took control of the city, created a rebel administration. Mm-hmm. And everyone was pretty excited about that for a minute or two. Um <laughs> The Raqqa residents apparently were strongly opposed to the Assad regime, so they were happy about it. They at first welcomed Mm -hmm. the rebel coalition. There was an American reporter who managed to visit Raqqa in March, and he noted that the city was ruled by a coalition of militias, and it was possible to move around as a woman without a headscarf. I met an Alawite nurse who worked alongside Sunni peers. So everyone was like, look at this, Alawite and Sunni getting along like cats and dogs or somethings and somethings, and uh, blessed be the day. And uh, everyone was very impressed with how moderate these rebel militias were, until they weren't. But meanwhile, the... the yeah. No, I was just going to add on to that by saying, yeah, there was a lot of civil society and revolution, revolutionary groups flourishing. There was a lot of activists. There was a lot of journalists, uh, revolutionary-minded youth people. Uh, there was the, the citizens themselves were taking care of the city. They were cleaning up the streets. They were repairing things. They were helping each other. Like you said, it was it was very, uh, very moderate. Um, everybody was relaxed, and they were just enjoying the fact that... Um, that Assad was no longer in control of this this area, this region, and the city. And so, again, a lot of people were able to relax in a way they hadn't done in a very long time. They even Most of them even went to the, let's pull down this uh, statue of Assad's father party. And again, so it's, it's this, like you said, it's 10 minutes of the sun shining. They're getting everything they want. They're completely free from Assad. And then things begin to change. Mm. 
By the way, the city of Raqqa, do you know who founded it? Um, Raqqa, Raqqa, rock band. No, I don't know. Our old mate, Alexander? King Selly, mate. King Selly, King, okay. Lucas. The Selster. Damn. Yeah. Everything goes back to that first podcast. Everything goes back to the Alexander podcast. I'm convinced. <laughs> That's not our first. What do you mean, our fir- the first podcast? No, I, I'm not the first, the, uh, the uh, oldest. Alexander podcast isn't our oldest? What are you talking about? What the fuck? What the fuck is our oldest? Po- no, not Caesar. oldest, but... Caesar's our oldest. No, the timeline. I meant the timeline. Right. I meant the timeline. You're talking chronologically, not in terms of our... Chronologically. No, no, right. All right. Um, yeah, so Raka. So the government uh, pulled its troops out but continued to bomb, and particularly bombing civilian locations around Raqqa with barrel bombs and missiles. Uh, barrel Jeez. bombs were being dropped from helicopters. Now, barrel bomb is typically an oil drum filled mm-hmm. with shrapnel and explosives, uh, particularly devastating on civilian targets. But right. very quickly, the main problem that the residents of Raqqa were having wasn't with the Syrian army, but with the rebels themselves. Because uh, ISIS, of course, a.k.a. ISIL, a.k.a. Daesh, a.k.a. bunch of cunts, um, decided <laughs> that they were an Islamic state, not just a rebel group. Ah. And they proclaimed themselves as the sole government of Raqqa, along with a variety of other northern cities that they'd conquered. And they started implementing their very harsh interpretation of Sharia law. They publicly beheaded three Alawites in the central square of Raqqa. They forced women to wear the hijab. They gender segregated the schools. They banned smoking. Now, that's where I draw the line, Ray. Yes. That's why I draw a sword and fight back. You can behead people all you like. (laughs) No. But as soon as you say, Cameron, you can't have a stogie, that's when I'm going to... Pick up a fucking scimitar. Oh, that's when it hits. It hits the fan. Yeah, the um, ISIL leader Abu Bakr al Baghdadi. No, I'm saying that wrong. Baghdadi. Um, he was the leader. I'm sure, I'm sure still like Baghdad. Baghdadi. He like uh, Baghdad. Baghdad. With an e on the end. Baghdadi. Baghdadi. Who's your Baghdadi? Yeah, anyway. Is what he used so- to say. That's his catchphrase. <laughs> hey, who's your Baghdadi? And. It- <laughs> And they'd be people out on shirts. Uh, so, yeah, he released a recording in April of 2013 <laughs> asking people to join him. But the al-Nusra leader, Abu Muhammad al-Jalani, Jalani, said no. But unfortunately, a lot of his leaders, a lot of his followers went with ISIL anyway. <laughs> oh, shit, I'm going to get a T-shirt made up now. <laughs> Just who's your Baghdadi? Who's your <laughs> Baghdadi? Who's your Baghdadi? on it. And the the ISIS <laughs> black scrawl. Oh, my God. Uh, who's your okay. Baghdadi? If you do that, I would like to start auditioning for uh, Cameron's replacement. But, uh, yeah, no, so, so, so this guy comes in, and he's smart, and he starts saying what these guys want to hear. And so these fighters from this other group, the uh, Al-Nusra, start coming over to, his, uh, to, to ISIL. Yeah. We've talked about him before. Uh, oh shit! On a previous episode, Baghdadi. So yeah, he 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 put it down. He's uh, the 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 ISIS uh, guys just start taking over and and, and becoming brutal yeah. on the people that they've recently rescued from the brutal oppression of the Assads. Now, this is what Assad has been warning about from the very beginning. If you remove me, these other guys are going to come in and things are going to be 10 times worse. And back in early 2013, we started to see examples of that already. Um, Christians fled the city. Churches were ransacked. Within two months of them taking Raqqa, uh, ISIS had started Mm -hmm. attacking the other rebel groups for not following their interpretation of Sharia law. 
Right. On August 14th, just before the Al Ghuta attacks, uh, no, it's just after the Ghuta attacks. I think they were August 12th. Um, mm-hmm. ISIS blew up a car bomb in front of the headquarters of another rebel group. Oh, shit. And, and killed and wounded civilians. And if they caught, any, do it. if they caught any members of the other rebel groups, they would put, they would torture them. They would jail them. Um, so yeah, it was yeah. like, well, yeah. Christians I read and that, uh, Protestants killing each uh-oh. other in the hundred year war. Man. Right. To see who's going to be dominant. I had read that at first when, when they, um, the ISIL um, followers started getting pretty handsy, if I can use that term, with people in the city that the followers of Al Nusra wouldn't fight them at first or resist them because they were, you know, they were um, uh, fellow, whatever you want to call it, fellow fellow Muslims. But by the time they figured it out, for the for those that did not go over to ISIL, uh, it was too late and the power play had had been uh, had been completed. Yeah, but again, if the only chance of that city having any kind of different outcome is if the fighters of al-Nusra maybe had a better leader, resisted stronger, and actually physically engaged these guys, militarily engaged these guys early on. It did not happen, and they were able to consolidate power. ISIL was able to consolidate power relatively quickly. Mm. Indeed. So, um... I don't know. They, the, the, these other rebel powers tried to fight back. The Western-backed Supreme Military Council <laughs> yeah. uh, didn't fare very well uh, trying to fight back against ISIS. On December There's only 6th, five of them. <laughs> yes, yeah. Oh, that five is what they had at the end. At the beginning, it was just <laughs> one guy, man, and, and I think it, and, a, and a meerkat. One guy and a meerkat is all he... <laughs> I am supreme! Yeah. Um, on December 6, 2013, the Islamic Front overran the SMC headquarters and warehouses, which, of course, were chock full of US-provided armaments and supplies. Oh, shit. Uh, so they said, thanks very much, America, said ISIS. <laughs> we will take all of that now. Yeah. Now, General yeah. Idris who I mentioned earlier, who was the uh, head of the Supreme Military Council. Mm-hmm. Darth Hedris, Dedris, whatever his name is. Was reported, Darth Idris, is that what you said? Was Darth, reported, yeah. yeah. Was reported to, uh, that's just Idris Elba, I think, uh, from Wyatt's <laughs> String a Bell. What well, was that string? Um he supposedly was forced to flee to Turkey from his mm-hmm. headquarters uh, that was just a few miles inside of uh, Syria. Um, stolen items included 40 pickup trucks, buses, 50,000 military rations, assault rifles, and even tanks. Mm-hmm as well as office and communications equipment. So there was, I, I love that. They were like, oh, look, the Windows 2013. Yeah, that's, that's really handy. We will take the world. Uh, one of the SMC commanders told the New York Times that the Islamic Front stole everything in the headquarters. But General Idris later claimed, oh, it's all a big misunderstanding. He said, no, 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 no. They didn't attack us. I asked them to help. <laughs> Clean up. Yeah, I asked them to help. They were going to well, I asked the Islamic Front to come and help us. It wasn't ISIS that attacked us. It was the Islamic Front because oh. ISIS was going to attack us. And so I asked the Islamic Front to come and help us uh, stop ISIS. From attacking us. They were like, uh, okay. <laughs> you come first and attack us. Then there won't be anything for them to attack when they come. There'll be egg all over their face. Yeah. See, it's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, so why is that better? <laughs> why is the Islamic yeah. Front having all of your weapons better than ISIS? Uh, cause, uh, you know, 
nice guys. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. so yeah. yeah, he said, no, they didn't overrun us. We asked them to overrun us and take all of our shit, basically. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Pull my pants down. Give it to me. Good. Nope. No, that's too close to rape. Um, and, and, and not that I'm trying to end this, but on just to add on to something you were saying on in February of 2014, Al Qaeda is unable to resolve their dispute with Al Nusra. They've been trying to figure out how to how to work things out. Um, cause a lot of Al Nusra fighters were absorbed, uh, by ISIL. Uh, they cut ties with ISIS and, and Al Qaeda put out a statement that said the people from ISIL were just too stubborn and they were unconcerned about working together. Teamwork was not important to them. So they could no longer work with these, let's face it, terrorists. Mm. Now, in case people are wondering, the difference between the Islamic front and ISIS is that the, mm-hmm. the they disagree, they, they were enemies, but they basically wanted the same thing, just different interpretation. The Islamic Front wanted to fight ISIS, but they also wanted to install Sharia law and is an and 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 and, 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 and uh, it's hard to say and an Islamic state and right. and Kofi and an um, yeah. So yeah. they pretty much wanted the same thing, just uh, I don't know, different interpretation. Yeah, get there a different it. way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Everybody's still uh, oppressed. That's all that matters. The Islamic Front criticized ISIS, saying they killed the people of Islam and leave the idol worshippers, and they use the verses talking about the disbelievers and implement it on the Muslims. So anyway, hard for me to tell the difference between <sighs> why one is better than the other. Anyway, uh, getting back yeah. to General Idris, he said, look, I was in Turkey the whole time. But bottom line is, uh, all of these American weapons, including tanks that were meant for the Supreme Military Council, (laughs) Mm -hmm. ended up in the hands of one of these other fundamentalist Islamic groups. Fucking great. Yeah. Um, And it was a huge embarrassment for the United States and for General Idris at the time. Now, as a result of this, the United States State Department announced suspension of aid to the rebels. Uh, But that resumed a few months later, and there was no announcement of the CIA's aid. So the CIA still had its covert operation running, and nothing Mm -hmm. really changed with that. So this is one of the problems that the US faced over here with this sort of covert CIA... um, program was they they kept sinking weapons and money and, and supplies into the rebel army and then it would just end up in the hands of the fundamentalist quote unquote terrorists maybe the united states was playing a deep game oh 5d chess like the trump administration <laughs> right well okay um they want these guys to get it because they are going to they know that they even though they're not wearing hats like white hats like we are, they're still going to fight the Syrian government. So the enemy of your enemy is your friend. I, I'm just making that up. I have no idea. I think they're just being massively incompetent. Look, America spent a billion dollars. We learned some things. You know, we shut it down. We walked away to a certain degree. That's 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 how you do these do these things. Mm. Now, a couple of months later, the SMC commanders held a secret meeting and sacked General Idris and replaced him with Brigadier General Abdul Ilah al-Bashir. No relation. (laughs) No relation. Uh, Al-Nuimi. Interestingly, uh, somebody then said, Congratulations, General Bashir. And he said, for what? And they said, you're now the head of the Supreme Military Council. Yes. And he said, uh, really? No one told me. And he, he was interviewed in the New York Times. He said, I swear to God, no one was in touch with me. They just said, oh, who have we got? This guy. <laughs> he didn't last long either. Um, uh, he was removed as well. Uh towards the end of 2014. 
Anyway, right. I guess that's where we're going to leave episode 21. Bottom line, the takeaway of this episode is when Obama decided not to go in full frontal, he decided to uh, do the old US reach around. Right, back and then. Yeah, secretly arming rebel groups, but uh, he ended up arming the wrong rebel groups. And so a lot of the success that ISIS and the Islamic Front has had in Syria mm-hmm. in the last three or four years is partially the result of them being given free American weapons. Which is why we need to say the fuck out, and I hope they send us thank you cards. I want to read another review. Uh, by the way, uh, it goes without saying, if we read out your review, send us an email with your address and get your thank you gift. I think I forgot to mention that uh, last episode with Jaff Nahar. So I hope, <laughs> hope you figured that out, Jaff Nahar. Uh, this review is from Emperor Crotchies from Australia. Uh, mm. Review is a total, what a load of bullshit. A load of bullshit. Now, I will preface... Preface? Fuck, What? <laughs> Now I will preface my review by saying, if you haven't listened to the other Ray and Cam podcast, starting with Life of Caesar, I cannot recommend enough that you don't listen to them, Mm. as they are far too entertaining for podcasting. Now, there are a few things I should tell you about the Bullshit Filter. Firstly, there are some good reasons to listen to this podcast. Some might say some saving graces. Due to the serious nature of this podcast, it is really good to see it keeps Cam on topic. Yes, there are endless digressions, but they're all relevant due to the complexity of the Syrian war. On the note of complexity, it's really good to see a topic that Ray is engaged with and can get into. It harkens back to the early days of the Life of Caesar podcast when it was obvious that Ray had spent at least an hour of research between (coughs) shows. Speaking of Cam's obvious dominance over his little buddy, I like to listen to Cam relaxing on the gay innuendo. Your relationship is only cute to you two. Fuck off already. And the topic keeps Cam so busy that he can't bash religion and show his disrespect that even as a non-practicing Christian, I am insulted by. Now, why you shouldn't listen... Fuck... I've been trying to edit this as I read it, but after that comment, I'm just going to read it as it's written. Read it. Mm. Yeah. Now, why you shouldn't you listen this, this shocking and socially damaging podcast? Ray and Cam in this attempt to change a simple black and white issue into shades of grey shows their social and commie allegonases. It lossly jumps between distorted history accounts, fake news correspondence reports and the famous false famously false WikiLeaks documents. They take the simple and understood issue of the bad guys versus the good, the Barbians against the might of America protecting pitfully small nations like Australia. This disastrous podcast promises to tear apart the fabric of society, and when the end comes, we all know who to blame. Regards, yeah. Lord of the East, Admiral of the High Fleet, the one true king. Wow. Wow. How yeah. much you had to drink before you wrote that, Emperor <laughs> Crotchies, but uh, fuck me. <laughs> I'd like to make a proposal. Let's take a coffee mug, break off the handle, and then send it to him. Yeah, because that was the equivalent of that review. Yeah, um, I, I don't know. You're offended by, insulted by my disrespect towards religion. Really? Why the fuck should does it deserve any respect? It's just an idea. Why do ideas deserve respect? Ideas don't deserve. And if he's respect. not religious, yeah, yeah. Ideas don't get born deserving respect. They have to earn respect. They have to stand up to investigation to earn. I, you know, the, the theory of gravity didn't just come out of <laughs> right. Sir Isaac Newton's butthole deserving respect. It needed to be tested. We, it needed to stack up. Yeah. 
over and over and over again. Religion doesn't just deserve respect because people it believe in it. It doesn't get a pass. It it no. might not pay taxes, but it doesn't get a pass. And you're an Aussie. Like, I would not be surprised if an American made a stupid comment like that. Honestly, Emperor Crotchies, because they've been brainwashed with this bullshit about, I don't know, you know, you have to respect the religious views of people. But, but for an Australian, fuck, mate, come on. Like, <laughs> I thought we were smarter than that. Some of us. Anyway. Anyway. Thank you, Cam. Thank you, Emperor Crotchies. <laughs> I, I, I gather that, that review was generally positive, so send us an email. You'll get your broken coffee mug. <laughs> um, do you know, I, I, I got an email from somebody during the week. I don't know if you saw this. They wrote a review for one of the shows. I can't remember which one. And they sent me their address. This woman, Sheena, shout out to Sheena, literally lives five minutes up the road from me. I could walk oh. to her address in <laughs> 10 minutes. With a mug in your hand. With yes. a mug, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's that was that. kind of a little bit creepy. Um, yeah. She didn't live Stalking didn't you. live there until she listened to the podcast. I think she just moved to be close to me. <laughs> wow, I do oh my god! When you disappear, when you disappear, we're, we're going to know who it is. Yeah, it's Sheena. 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 Make it a clean kill, Sheena. That's what's fair. Oh, I vaguely recall reading her review and her saying she didn't come to the meetup and us saying we could have played Sheena E songs and me playing. Oh, Sheena! It's a fabulous life or something. Yeah. All right. Mm, anyway, mm, that's mm. we'll be back. Our president is weak and indecisive in the eyes of the world right now.